idea of Patrick Bateman, some kind of abstraction, but there is no real me, only an entity, something illusory. And though I can hide my cold gaze and you can shake my hand and feel flesh gripping yours, and maybe you can even sense our lifestyles are probably comparable, I simply am not there. Welcome to Band Book Club. We're your hosts, Nick and Rafaela. And that was a quote from American Psycho by Brett Easton Ellis. So, I'm conflicted about this book. On one hand, it makes some crucial points about a certain kind of rabies in American culture and does so in a stylish, aesthetically pleasing way. But on the other hand, I worry that it ends up becoming just another sad, violent, nihilistic piece of the same culture that it's complaining about. So, But what do I mean by that? Basically, this book uses senseless violence to complain about senseless violence. <laughs> but you have to excuse some of that because it's also a satire. And right. in a satire, you do kind of a caricature of a certain type of person and you exaggerate one of their traits to a huge degree. And in this case, that person is, I guess, an American businessman and the trait is their superficiality or their inhumanity. Right. And that the caricature in this book, the person, is Patrick Bateman, of course, who's Christian Bale, if you've seen the movie. <laughs> yes, I mean, if you've seen the movie, reading this book just made me picture him as the character. But just to give a little background to the book, if you're unfamiliar with it, so spoilers ahead, um, it is a book that is written in the first-person narrative, and uh, our main character is Patrick Bateman, who is a serial killer and a Manhattan investment banker. Um, it's set in the late 1980s, and um, the whole book is very stream of consciousness. You are trapped in the mind of Patrick Bateman the whole time, and you know you you realize that he's very concerned about his personal appearance. Everything is very superficial in this book. He gives you very extensive descriptions of his daily regimens, places that he goes to eat, the clothes he wears, and also all the murders that he um, executes. <laughs> Can I read a quote really quick that I think sums up that half of him perfectly? Go ahead. The not murdering half. <laughs> this is like the consumer uh, obsessive half. Mm -hmm. J and B, I am thinking. Glass of J and B in my right hand, I am thinking. Hand, I am thinking. Charivari. Shirt from Charivari. Fusili, I am thinking. Jamie Gertz, I am thinking. I would like to F Jamie Gertz, I am thinking. Porsche 911. A Sharpay, I am thinking. I would like to own a Sharpay. I am 26 years old, I am thinking. I will be 27 next year. A Valium. I would like a Valium. No, two Valium, I am thinking. Cellular phone, I am thinking. That definitely sums him up. I mean, that's just where his mind is going a million miles an hour. That half of him, but of, of course, things. there's the other half, the murdering, <laughs> psychopathic half, which I don't... There's plenty of quotes we could read to explain that, but... I don't know if it'd be the best idea. 
Right. Well, we're going to go over some other quotes later. But that's that's just who he is. So you, you have an idea. There you go. So, of course, this book is banned um, <laughs> for obvious reasons due to its violence. But just to give you um, some things about the book, it was supposed to be published by Simon & Schuster in 1991. But the company withdrew from the project because of aesthetic differences so Vintage Books picked up the rights to the novel and they published it. Um, people thought that this book was going to end Reddy Sinellis' career. Obviously, it did not. Um, and he received numerous death threats, lots of hate mail. He only got one good review and that came out of the Los Angeles Times. And because of the Los Angeles Times giving it such a good review, a lot of people canceled their subscriptions. So in the United States, this book is named the 53rd most banned and challenged book from the American Library Association. Something that's pretty uh, funny to me is in Australia and New Zealand, and I think other countries too, the book is sold in, it's shrink wrapped, and it's classified R18 under the national censorship legislation, which Brady Sinellis has commented on it saying, I think it's adorable. I think it's cute. I love it. Actually, I was scrolling through TikTok and I found somebody opening up that book and it is very serious. The one where it's packaged, where like it's, all it's a packaged. dangerous radioactive thing? Yes, I saw one because I was curious what it looked like. Um, in Germany, the book is deemed harmful to minors. Um, what else? Oh, and my our favorite uh, little um, tidbit of information here. Phil Collins is mentioned in this book a lot. And because he's referenced in the book, he said, I didn't read it. At the time, I just thought, that's all we need, glorifying all this crap. I'm not interested. Then the film came out, and I thought it was very funny. <laughs> <laughs> if you've seen the episode of South Park where Phil Collins appears, I read that quote in the voice they did for him on that episode. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I didn't write it. <laughs> <laughs> So, anyway, we're going to get back to Phil because he's an important part of this book, I think. I think we should talk about Phil Collins. So, Phil is really important to this book, I think, because the passages that describe him, especially contrasting him with Peter Gabriel and the two different lives that the band Genesis had, that really sums up what's going on emotionally in this book which if if you know anything about genesis um the first part of genesis had peter gabriel as the lead and he was writing poetic emotional musically interesting stuff and then the band got taken over by i think the drummer phil collins and it became just straight up pop and basically dummy music to work out to in the 80s, but way more commercially successful. And I don't think anyone can listen to the two different phases of Genesis and not get the feeling that something human was lost along the way, which I think is kind of the thesis of this book is that in this transition into 80s, consumer, hyper-self-interested culture, something human is lost. It seems like a lot of the soul in the music 
just went away. And just like Patrick Bateman, I mean, he really doesn't have a soul. So I, I think no, and right. if you listen to like Salisbury Hill or In Your Eyes, and then go listen to Susudio or Invisible Touch, you'll understand. I mean, still read the book, but that to me summed up what this was trying to say that loss of humanity that loss of mm-hmm. liveliness that i think on some level patrick is trying to get back of course he approaches this in a terrible way through murder i mean that's the only way he can connect to humanity anymore what do you think about huey lewis and the news <laughs> well genesis Huey Lewis, Whitney Houston, uh, who, who else is there? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Before we continue, a quick interruption. Want to purchase the book we're discussing in this episode? Well, check out Bookshop. Bookshop is an online bookstore with a mission to financially support local independent bookstores. As more and more people buy their books online, Bookshop has created an easy, convenient way for you to get your books and support bookstores at the same time. Bookshop will give away over 75% of their profit margin to stores, publications, and authors. If you want to shop the books we've covered on the podcast, visit the link down below in the description. We do receive a small commission based on sales, so thank you for all your support of our channel and podcast. Gosh, there's a bunch of uh, musicians referenced in the book, but probably the the most would be Phil Collins, Genesis, and Huey Lewis in the News, and Whitney Houston. Well, all of them. This book has a great concern with pop music of the 80s, and there'll even be entire chapters devoted to Phil Collins or Huey Lewis analyzing one of their albums, and... I mean, just that by itself shows you how insane this guy is. Right. I mean, what did you what did you think about the the constant repetition of analyzing clothes, analyzing food and uh, music and items in his apartment, speakers? Just that intensely consumeristic language over and over again. Did that hurt the experience for you, or did that? show you something about this character i think it showed you how ridiculous you can sound when you are so obsessed with material things i mean can you imagine talking about maybe a human being like that and how that might sound in comparison to talking about a suit or a skincare regimen i think it just shows you how people can obsess over these things obsess over their appearance obsess over um a musician and just turn them into just such an idol and you're idolizing the wrong thing so i think it just showed how not okay it obviously if somebody was speaking to me about an album in that way like patrick bateman does i would be deeply concerned for that person at first you think like oh wow this person is just really enthusiastic about music but then when it continues to the links that this book takes it, you start to feel, oh, maybe something's kind of like horribly broken here. What I noticed was in the beginning of this book, 
it's very entertaining. And every time he references things or goes to another restaurant, describes the food, I, I found it very funny. I mean, I, I laughed out loud. As the book progressed and the murder started taking place, and then after he would murder someone brutally, we'd go right into a chapter about Huey Lewis in the news. I wasn't really finding it funny anymore. It started to feel very uncomfortable with every description. Well, the consumer language in the novel, I think, was a really clever tool to do two things. One, it was funny, like you said, at least in some parts. And when it wasn't funny, like right after a murder, it just highlighted what a sick guy he was. But two, it, for me, it was this really unique way of keeping tension in the novel, especially mm-hmm. in times where it would seem like nothing's going on except he's just describing his apartment or describing a restaurant. But sustaining it in that high detailed of a way for me, it made me extremely uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it, by itself, it made me think, without asking me to, that this guy was insane. Mm-hmm. And even if you stop and look at the details of these descriptions that go on for pages and pages, if you're observant, you can see even the little details are completely insane. Like, he'll say stuff like, I have a um, $2,000 crystal cigarette ash holder but i don't smoke or yeah. um <laughs> or some of the foods that they eat i mean everything has raspberry coulis which i still have yet to know yeah like the is. food will be like uh new orleans food combined with um <laughs> japanese or polish and or even the clothes they wear i mean if you actually had somebody wear that you would look absolutely ridiculous yeah or even in in all the names he people are constantly throwing out he'll throw in like Oh, I have to meet Cliff Huxtable for lunch. <laughs> Cliff Huxtable, I'm pretty sure, is Bill Cosby from The Cosby Show. So my point is all these details, they're building tension, they're making you uncomfortable, they're making you laugh, but they're also throwing out these little uh, breadcrumbs to show you that, no, this guy is really, really sick. I think that's I what thought made that it was, that was brilliant. A, great, a great satire. Um, so one one question that we ask ourselves is, is this book trying to warn us about something? <laughs> Which we definitely do think it's trying to warn us. Well, I think it'd be hard to read this book and not see a lot of corollaries in culture today in America. I think Brett himself said something about if there was a modern-day American psycho, it would look something like Jake Paul from YouTube. Yeah, I would completely but agree with that. If, if we're trying to suss out a kind of warning here, I mean, that would probably be people should watch out for being so narcissistic, for being just professional consumers, mm-hmm. uh, for being callous towards other people. And I mean, any five minutes spent on YouTube or social media or listening to the news, I think will confirm that and more. People in general today, and, and, you know, it seems like it was beginning as technology started to advance. But today, I mean, 
when you go out to a restaurant, you see a couple there and they're both on their phones the whole time for the whole meal. And then they get up and walk away and not one word was said. People have lost that connection talking to people. And that was something that Brady Sedellis explored with Less Than Zero. And with this, it just took it. It turned it up all the way. It turned the volume up all the way. But it's so much easier today to get so lost in products or yourself, what you look like. I mean, how many girls now want to look like Kim Kardashian or, you know, some other big celebrity? And it's all fake. It's completely fake. And I don't know how happy Kim Kardashian is in her life, but what we see on social media is what we assume she's like. So it just shows you how much easier it is now to show off or want to get the clout, you know, going to the hot new club or eating the most popular thing or wearing the most popular thing. The book was definitely onto something with this obsession people have with status. I mean, Patrick will nearly cry or have to go kill somebody just because he doesn't get the reservation that he wanted for a restaurant. And it's pretty clear that he doesn't even care about the food so much as just the fact people know that he could get a reservation at the glitziest place in town. And, I mean, that to me reminded me so much of Instagram where you go on and it's like the experiences people have aren't real unless they record them and show them off to everybody. And of course, the experiences are only the best, most polished mm-hmm. parts of their life. It's none of the the real stuff, none of the inner feelings. I think one scene that, you know, obviously everybody knows this scene, even if you haven't read this book, is the card scene where they're all (laughs) comparing their card. And, you know, he starts it off. He's feeling pretty confident with his card. And then he just keeps getting one-upped by everyone. And if you look closely at the cards, at least in the movie, things were spelled wrong all over the card. You know, nobody even cares what they do for a living. It's like uh, (laughs) Yeezy Shoes today or something. Yeah, right. Like people will (laughs) wait months and months in advance or keep tags on the shoes, like or cover even, them up before they go outside. Have you ever seen people walking around with, like, it's like a hairnet you wear in the shower, but it's around their shoes? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Even, yeah, you cover it up so you don't even get dirt on it. Or like keeping, maybe not quite the same, but keeping a, a baseball hat still with the sticker on top of it? Or Yeah. No, it's insane. And And there are people that do that and think nothing wrong of it. And there are starving kids in Africa. Come on. <laughs> well, he brings uh, something like that up when at, at one scene I thought was hilarious. The dinner scene at the beginning mm-hmm. where Patrick uh, gives a little litany of, I guess, his political views and um, what would be social goals for the human race to achieve. And he talks about like ending apartheid and fixing world hunger and all this stuff. And then right after that, he goes and murders a hungry homeless man. <laughs> and, you know, that that whole scene, it really does remind me of celebrities who are completely out of touch with real human beings. You know, they talk about the world and saving it and, you know, how to make the world a better place or the environment. But then they 
get on a jet or they go eat at the most expensive restaurants or they carry around bags that cost as much as college tuition. And I, I mean, that's that's America today. Those are the American psychos of today. And and speaking of maybe something that's pretty relevant right now, I after reading this book, I thought about the the whole incident with the Travis Scott concert. And I'm thinking of all these kids who trampled over other children because these were children and moshing. And this one guy was actually seen basically dancing on top of an ambulance that was driving into the crowd to try and save people. And he posted on Instagram and saying, that's me. That was me on the ambulance. And you guys are babies. You know, when we rage, we rage hard. I'm a savage. Yeah, I'm a savage. Let's get lit. You and know, those are people that actually murdered others. And I don't think they actually feel responsible for it. And just like Patrick Bateman, he totally dissociates him, himself from the murders. And it, it just, he, he becomes inhuman and he treats the other people like just meat just another per not even a person just another thing another piece of meat i'm sure some of these kids too i mean i wasn't there but <laughs> i'm sure some of them were decked out in all the hype beast clothes too mm-hmm. and we're probably wearing also on drugs most likely yeah. just like yeah and they were probably wearing the yeezys or the reverse swoosh travis <laughs> scott jordans to step on these other people and kill them and that, what does I mean, that say about America? that? That's this whole story right there. That's American Psycho. Well, speaking of the violence in this novel, do you think that the book earned its violence, or could you write the same book but with less violence? And did the violence actually have a completely diminishing effect? And just a little thing about the violence in this book. It is pretty horrific and it really builds. I mean, we start with, you know, a stabbing and then we get into basically experimenting on bodies, especially women, um, you know, exploding boobs, uh, opening up cavities and having sex with a, a head. I mean, it is, it gets really Killing wild. kids. Kids, animals, dogs, um, I agree that the violence in this book is a lot. And I had never read anything like this book. I don't read a lot of horror. I wouldn't call this a horror novel, but it definitely had the horror aspect of it. I would agree that, no, I would say yes, it was gratuitous with the violence. But I'm going to disagree that it shouldn't be in there. It needed to be in there. To that degree? Yes. Well, like I said at the beginning, I'm conflicted. And that's probably the main point I'm conflicted about is how this book handled violence. Um, I, and it's weird because when I was a kid, I actually really enjoyed stuff like Quentin Tarantino or just anything super gory because I found it entertaining. But as I've gotten older, when I see something violent, it has to have more of a justification now. Merit. (laughs) Yeah, something to warrant it really being there. Otherwise, I mean, now when I watch Tarantino, I just feel like this is a guy fetishizing violence 
for violence sake and it just has no effect on me because it's the only thing it wants to do is to shock me mm-hmm. but i think this book was working with a little bit more lofty ideas than tarantino i mean it, there was something valid it was trying to say about culture and human nature and i get that the violence was a tool to show that but did it need a rat chewing through some part of a woman to show me that did it need intestines being pulled out and drills over and over again would i have gotten the same message if just one of those things were removed i don't know i i don't know either and i am conflicted about that myself because you know where is the line drawn and it seems like brett went way over the line because i i don't know maybe maybe i would have had the same effect if the rat scene was removed and that just wasn't there do you think he just wanted to have fun with it and just take it that far to be shocking did he take it too far with all the double-breasted wool suits and the descriptions i i don't know well i think you can make several different arguments about it and one is you know from a writing perspective you're using the form to match the content so a form that is repetitive cold drawn out um, and boring in a way to reflect a person who's like that um you know i'm probably starting to sound with the way i'm talking about the violence here like someone who's morally outraged and like a teetotaler type person wagging their finger at brett and that that's really not me um but i think if we're talking about a piece of art and especially one with this much shock value we have to consider if you get diminishing returns on that i mean one thing i was thinking about um regarding the violence in this book was my favorite book by brett which was less than zero i think that book was trying to make essentially the same point as this one but it was so much more subtle and when something horrific happened and it came out of this more subdued flow it had a, a much greater impact on me and it felt more realistic i i get that, that that was more of a realistically grounded novel but i'm just saying my personal preference i guess is not to be shocked over and over again i didn't enjoy the violence in this book but perhaps it was something like in the beginning to satisfy patrick or to make him feel something okay it starts off with a stab and then it turns into something worse and worse and then we get to the point where he is putting a rat up a woman's you know so did he just escalate it further and further because he just wanted to feel something and he was just thinking, what is the worst thing I could do to these people that would make me finally feel some kind of an emotion or actually make me feel bad about it? I don't know. Because there's one quote in here 
Obviously, he's a very uh, nihilistic guy. Everything failed to subdue me. Soon, everything seemed dull. Another sunrise, the lives of heroes, falling in love, war, the discoveries people made about each other. The only thing that didn't bore me, though, obviously enough, was how much money Tim Price made. And yet, in its obviousness, it did. There wasn't a clear, identifiable emotion within me, except for greed and possibly total disgust. I had all the characteristics of a human being, flesh, blood, skin, hair, but my depersonalization was so intense, had gone so deep, that the normal ability to feel compassion had been eradicated, the victim of a slow, purposeful erasure. I was simply imitating reality, a rough resemblance of a human being, with only a dim corner of my mind functioning. Something horrible was happening, and yet I couldn't figure out why. I couldn't put my finger on it. Perhaps he was trying to unlock something in his brain by going this far with the murders. I don't know, but it it was a lot to take in. You're talking about a possible motive behind all this stuff that he did? You know what it made me think of just randomly here on the spot? Think of John McAfee. (laughs) I mean, the guy got into basically having women poop in his mouth to feel something, to take (laughs) sex even further. Perhaps Bateman is just trying to take it to the furthest possible way of just torturing someone to death. You mean like one of those rock stars where they've exhausted every pleasure they could possibly feel in life and they have to do stuff like scat stuff has, or actually hurting themselves just to feel everything. anything. He has all the money. He has all the clothes. He goes to all the expensive restaurants. He has a woman. He gets any date. He kills them and it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. So I don't know. So what's driving him is some need to feel something is what you're saying. I think perhaps, I don't know. Maybe that's, that's what I got out of well, it. Well, the, the book spends almost no time trying to humanize patrick there's only a couple of dim hints like that and uh, this one i'm about to read that maybe point towards okay there was at one time a person underneath all this the one i i thought was interesting about that was when he was trying to break up with evelyn and he said my need to engage in homicidal behavior on a massive scale cannot be um, corrected, but I have no other way to express my blocked needs. It never picks up on what those needs are, but that made me think, what are his needs? What's <laughs> not being met that would require him to act like this? Right. I My guess is just never having a real human connection with someone and everything just being completely superficial. And I think another thing that this book really picks up on is how, you know, obviously it's extremely violent and all these horrible things happen, but we're not even really sure if half of these things are happening. Because for one, Patrick is totally drugged up, so who knows if what is actually happening is happening. He seems to... Obviously, he's a very unreliable narrator. So what do you think? Do you think some of these things actually happened? Or if it didn't, I guess if it did happen, what does it say about the people in this book that he's interacting with? 
Before we continue, just a quick interruption. Are you enjoying this episode? If you are, go ahead and like and subscribe. If you have anything to add to the discussion, go ahead and comment down below. Now back to the episode. Well, first of all, I think I've heard Brett Easton Ellis mention that something like he doesn't even know or he's not interested in whether the stuff did happen or not. And I think that makes sense because if that was the main concern of this novel, it would be more of just a crime thriller than mm-hmm. some kind of you know, deep existential piece or whatever. But it, it's fun to think about. So, I mean, let's assume that all this stuff was actually happening. That would mean that the characters in this book were so either callous or completely stupid that they were aware of it and uh, they they were just okay with it. it yeah. Or they were literally that dumb that when Patrick is pulling a bloody body bag out of his apartment, someone really thinks that it's a couture uh, weekend sports bag or something. Yeah. So yeah. it... I think if you if you're going the route of all this stuff did happen, then it's just a commentary showing the lowest possible opinion of humanity. Well, no one even knows who Patrick is sometimes. I mean, they mistake him for Marcus Halberstram. They're even Paul Paul uh, Paul Owen. He's Paul Owen in the book. Paul Allen in the movie. I don't know. There's yeah. there's so many so, <laughs> names you get lost in this book so, I, that you're supposed nobody, to forget. Nobody even knows where he's at. They think even though Patrick's killed him, technically he's up in London having dinner with people. Um, his lawyer at the very end, he, he confesses to all the murders. He leaves this long voicemail. And then when he does see the lawyer, he, he tells him, first of all, he's having a conversation with him. and He thinks he's a totally different person. He said, man, Bateman's hilarious. Like he's such a coward. He would never do these things. It was so funny. He thought it was a joke at first. He thought it was a joke. So what does that say about him? He doesn't even know his own client. Or how about the fact that Patrick... I'm I'm sorry, but he says that he had dinner with the guy that Patrick murdered, right? And that it could have been... That's why it was impossible for that to have happened. Mm -hmm. So either that... Either he did actually have lunch with uh, Paul Paul Owen or... Or this lawyer is so corrupt that he's just... He just that seamlessly up. covers things up. And, or Patrick killed the wrong guy. <laughs> yeah, either, either way, whether it happened or it didn't, it's either way, it's a really sad commentary on people. Very cynical. Uh, another scene I wanted to bring up was the fact that he starts using Paul Owen's um, apartment to kill most of these women. And, you know, they have it basically cleaned out. He goes there, there's an open house. And the realtor is there and just asking him to leave. and Yeah, and you don't know whether her motives are, oh, this horrible murder happened and I need to sell this place anyway, so I'm just going to ignore the property it. Value. Or if it really just didn't happen. But it makes you wonder. There is one character that kind of defies the, the mold for the rest of them in this book, and that, I think that was Jean. She was the only one that was seemingly human to me and she tries to reach out to patrick she's the only one that doesn't seem completely corrupted like Mm -hmm. everyone else but she also doesn't even have a clue uh, what he's doing and she thinks that he's sweet and Mm -hmm. um 
you know, like a moral guy. And, and that that annoys him because I know he's he's ready to kill her with a nail gun and he puts it down. He doesn't kill her. Yeah, that might be the nicest thing he does in the book is when he says, I think you should leave. You might get hurt. And of course, she's interpreting that as, you know, a relationship. Yeah, but but it was interesting that he spared her. He spares her and he also spares Evelyn. And I thought that was something really interesting that he, you know, she she refers to him as the boy next door, which I hilarious. mean, a lot of people call him the boy next door, which makes you think these psychos are the boys next door. But he really does spare Evelyn, maybe because she's too dumb to realize what's going on and that bothers him. Well, I don't know if we should use him sparing people as a metric for how much he cares about them because he spares that homeless guy that he stabs at the beginning and gouges his eyes out. And then you see him at the end of the book again and he says, please don't hurt me. And Patrick says, you're not even worth it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, maybe Evelyn just wasn't worth it to him, but I just from the feeling you got from the writing, it felt like he spared Jean because he was actually getting close to feeling something about her or thought that there was something worth preserving in her. And that might have been the most redeeming moment for his character, but it does not get developed past that. Right, it doesn't. And in general, a lot of people will say that this book is a very misogynistic book. Um, of course, a lot of women are tortured and raped. And I think it's the majority of the murders are women, yeah, isn't it? The majority of the murders are women, but that's not to say that he doesn't murder men and a child and dogs and who knows what other animals he kills. But I think it also tells you something about these women who look at Patrick and think you're the boy next door. Oh, you're acting like such a Grinch. And they're not even realizing what type of a man they're with. Yeah, I mean, he takes it, the writer takes it there further than There are so that many because, warning signs about Patrick that the women well, it's, seem to it's completely ignore. Well, it's not just ignore. that um, they ignore it, but even in that one scene with the model that he takes home and brutally tortures and murders, she says, I can tell you're a kind person or like you you have a sweetness about you or something or how about the one girl he calls christy she goes he doesn't kill her the first time and then she goes back i mean what does that tell you about some women that you know go back to somebody after they've been mistreated and i don't mean physically but i mean maybe also physically maybe not as bad as patrick probably did but some women that choose to trust men like this so what does it tell you about these women well that's what i was saying earlier is it's not just a commentary on you know these kinds of businessmen but in the background of this whole book is just this super low opinion of everybody even Mm -hmm. the regular people and i mean i i feel sorry for brett easton ellis if if he really thinks that it must be a, a rough way to look at life right yeah just thinking the worst for humanity all the time and writing these characters. So that brings me to another point I had about this book, the cynicism and ultimately the nihilism in here. I get that the book is complaining about all those things and warning about them, but do you 
it, it also doesn't give any answers about it either. And at the end of the day, did it just leave you in the pit of nihilism or was it helpful in any way? Because nihilism, I mean, this is something I, I really worry about today, you know, especially with kids liking things like Rick and Morty or <laughs> misinterpreting stuff like Fight Club. I mean, real violence, real nihilism, real destruction in any way is not cool at all. I mean, being a goth teenager obsessed with death and destruction for its own sake is just self-defeating and sad. And I wish there was, you know, a hint of something in here where it moved beyond an obsession with that. And I guess I'm wondering how you felt about that subject. You know, when I finished this book, I felt lost or really depressed when it ended. Right, and I I think some of that was intentional. Yeah, and and of course it ends with, you know, this is not an exit, with a sign in the background, metaphorically speaking, that this kind of life for people like this, there is no way out. It's, this is it. And it's almost like when Less Than Zero finished with the basically little uh, minor getting raped, tied to a bed, and Clay did nothing. I mean, it just ends like that. And you don't know what to do because there is no solution offer. There is no glimpse of hope. Right. Well, I think it ends with Julian being pretty much raped and he doesn't care. And then he says some monologue afterwards to Blair, like, I don't care. It's easier not to care. or I don't want to feel anything. But it, it amounts to the same thing. I mean, that's where Brett leaves you in all of these novels. Perhaps it has something to do with the fact that all of these things that take place in American Psycho with all the murders, like this is what it could turn into if you truly just care about nothing. And it's more of just like a big warning without the solution offered. I guess the solution is the fact that it could turn into something this horrific or humanity could turn into this where we just don't even see people as people. And so perhaps that's the message of or that's the that's the solution offered is change yourself, try and connect with others, try and connect with people, emotions, compassion instead of material things being a consumer. Well, he never comes out and says that in anything, which I respect, but if if you're looking at it that optimistically, I think you, I mean, you can make the argument, if someone wrote a satire like this in the first place, then deep down, they are a pretty moral person, and they are outraged at something and upset, and maybe this book, or all of his books, are Brett Easton Ellis' way of lashing back at that, or fighting Mm -hmm. back at it. The danger, I think, is that people are actually so dumb that they could end up idolizing people like this. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, probably. I I think Jake (laughs) Paul, he could read at least parts of this book and think, wow, this guy has a lot of clout or he's, 
he you know what an awesome life he's he's got i don't know what the drip the whip no he doesn't have a car but <laughs> the drip the whip but you know what i'm saying like it's like scarface people idolizing a guy like Tony yeah Montana. i mean that was supposed to be i guess kind of a satire or a warning about something but it ended up inspiring so many people to want to be just mm-hmm. like that and of course patrick has much less of a backbone than tony montana but so i mean look at people like scott disick oh god i mean they couldn't you he calls see, himself a lord yeah yeah or, or just kids today like the hype beast kids that they're, they're so far gone that this could really be something they would want to strive towards I almost think it, of course i'm sure some who m- maybe like a jake paul reading this book would totally miss the fact but brett never idolize or glamorizes bateman I mean, he's seen from first if, of all, if you're nobody a, recognizes a mentally stable person in the first place. You're not going to think this is glamorous, but yeah, it's it's he's getting people get him mixed up with other people. They never really know who he even is. He's not that important, really. Um, they don't even believe that he would murder people. No, he also so, is basically cuckolded by his best friend, and he's okay with and it. And he watches it. He happen thinks he's cool. And still, thinks he's, yeah, and thinks he's cool about it. So, you know, that's the one thing that I appreciate because I think this would have been a very different book if Brett made him out to be this really cool guy at the end of the day. Right, but I, I almost feel the way I feel about you know how American news and media approaches serial killers in the first place or i guess since the 60s you know the making movie stars out of them and giving them this huge legend on the news for decades and then netflix picking up yeah picking up and, and making and like more ted bundy being so played by zach efron new movies made about serial killers these days right and you know um, uh, it kind of teaches you if you went and did all of that stuff, people are going to love you and idolize you forever. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Is it really helpful at the end of the day to go through this exercise? Did this book, you know, talk about things or complain about things that are going on in today's culture, but then write this book and just bring it up all over again? Yeah, does- <laughs> Like I said at the beginning, does it just end up becoming another piece of this sick rabies culture? I don't know. I'm, I'm a little conflicted with that. I do believe that this book is an important read, even though I know some people can look at this book and not like it at all, um, which I completely understand if you don't like this book. But I still think it was just a big red warning flashing sign i want to close out with just one of my little thoughts i wrote down i want to believe that the rage in psycho is not directionless that it adds up to something more than just another violent sad self-destructive piece of the culture it seems to be aiming at but i'm still undecided i think one of ellis's virtues as an author is his restraint in not leaving you with any easy answers this is definitely not an exit. And I think that's a good way to close <laughs> on, on a depressing note, just like this book did. 
Well, thank you so much for watching. If you enjoyed this video or have thoughts to share about the book, whether you loved it or hated it, let us know down below in the comments, like, share this video, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. And remember, if a book is banned, it's worth reading. <laughs>